Okay. All right. What it do, guys? Welcome to the Faith, Muscle, and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Conde, coach and brand owner of Gain and Burn Fitness. And today we've got the amazing guest, my handsome brother, Professor Chris Barakat. What is good, brother? What's good? Going on, man. Thank you for having me on. It's been way too long. I haven't seen you in what two years, maybe three years. I was thinking, was it 2018 or 2016, Body Power? I think it's 2018. No, 2018. 2018. 2018. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. crazy. Crazy. I mean, we'll we'll say it's been two years because 2020 was a wash. So just get rid we of. We don't it. talk about that, man. We don't, we don't talk about it. it. And uh, yeah, yeah. I hope, hope to see you sooner than later, mate. That's the plan. That's the plan. Um, I, it's either I get the wife to come over to Tampa with me or, yeah, you, you come over here. <laughs> so, man, you guys are more than welcome, though. It would be good, great to see you both. Uh, but, yeah, brother, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, most people who follow my page, who follow me anywhere on social media, they should know who you are. I do talk about you enough just simply because the knowledge you have and, you know, what you do in the industry is always worth sharing. Um I know you're quite science-based and everything, but I thought it'd be best, you know, to hear from yourself, a little bit about yourself, you know, what you do, uh, competitive breed, and also, you know, why are you a professor? What's that all about? Sure. Well, again, man, thanks for having me on. Um, I'll give a, a brief intro in regards to what I currently do and kind of how I, how I got started. So right now, um, I teach at the University of Tampa part-time. I'm an adjunct over there but I do a ton of research in the human performance lab. And basically all of the research that I'm a part of at this point is all bodybuilding related. Um, if I'm going to invest months and months of my time or years of my time investigating something, it's going to be bodybuilding related. So it's all about muscle hypertrophy, optimizing your nutrition for building muscle, losing fat, the whole nine. So that's what we do in the lab. Um, and then I also coach full-time like, that's what I really do professionally. Um, so that's with my team competitive breed. And then I like to educate people outside of the classroom, right? I only have 21 students a semester. So I don't teach a whole bunch of students every semester. Um, but I love being able to educate people on social media, on podcasts like this platform right here, um, and just all over the internet. So I created a, another brand called School of Gains. And gains is spelt with a Z, um, where I just share a lot of educational content, you know, free articles, videos, uh, keep people updated on my research. And then I also have coaching services there and programs there and stuff like that. So that's basically what I do. Um, educationally, I started off with a bachelor's in athletic training. That is basically a hybrid of sports therapy, like prehab and physio with emergency care. So spine boarding people, everything like that. Those are the people that are at athletic events and they're the first responders there. Um, the goal was that I thought I was gonna do physical therapy for my graduate school and I thought I was gonna get a DPT, uh, but I just fell in love with bodybuilding too much. I started competing as an undergrad and got more and more interested in exercise and nutrition. So I was like, screw this PT stuff. I've been working in PT clinics for like four or six years at that point. And I was like, I want to study what I'm super passionate about and kind of make a career out of this. So um, then I got my master's in exercise and nutritional sciences, where I currently teach at the University of Tampa. And that's me in a nutshell. That was that's quick nice. enough, but thorough. Enough. Wow. 
that's pretty much on nail like pretty much should cover everything there so at least people know who you are in that sense um and yeah and for people to catch that again school of games it's the bro spelling you got the z on there you know make it easy for us but you know meatheads no it's not hard at all uh but i think again like um off the bat you know people might not know how i first got to know you it was like from your old one of your first like YouTube videos, uh, just you going a bit more about yourself, I really resonated with. And I think what makes it easy is again, just the whole fact of the whole bodybuilding being the passion and making a living from it. It's, and I think this is where a lot of people get it confused with. They think it's like somehow you molded that to happen. You, you know, you somehow like had a blueprint and you know put everything together. Like people forget that it's just, it's just simply a case of we love this and we just like kind of like immatured from it, you know, from looking at what else you can do and not having the fear to take the risk to try and actually make it your own, so to say, because I'm guessing even still with even where, where you are currently, like you, you still focusing on bodybuilding with your education side of things, you know, it might still be challenging to be able to put that up there and say, no, I still want to stick in this lane as much as mm -hmm. other people might throw you in other lanes. So I think my first question would be like, how does, how does that, how is that day to day having to always make sure you're staying true to what you know, you're going to enjoy and be able to actually give your all to. Sure. That's a great question, man. Um, Cause sometimes I have spent too much time on things I don't enjoy to a great, great degree. I like to have my feet in different lanes to like, I like coaching. I like research. I like educating. So like if I were just to do one of those three, I would be, um, unfulfilled unfortunately so like there has been times where i've taken on way too much coaching responsibility was you know drowned in emails all day long doing updates and didn't have time to do the other things that kind of fill up my cup and i was yeah. like damn i'm really not liking this right now um so even though i i do love it too much of anything it's like you need the proper dosage you need that proper volume yeah, you um yeah. I was like overreaching with my coaching at one point. And I was like, all right, I need to calm that down a bit, take the foot off the gas there, switch gears, do a little something else. Um, but yeah, I, I still, the whole balancing act is something that like, I don't know if anyone's a master of it or you just constantly try to get better over time. Um, so it's something I'm still going through, but I'm fortunate, man, like with the research, I do have a mentor uh, at the University of Tampa, but we're basically on the same page. Um, he understands that, like, he doesn't want me investing time into things that I'm not interested in. So, I mean, we're a team, man. So we collaborate with one another. Um, it's a blessing. Yeah, it's a blessing, man. So shout out to Dr. Eduardo de Souza. He's a really, really good dude. Um, he's been my mentor since 2015. So it's, it's been awesome. Um and yeah, I don't, I don't know. Sorry, you want to rephrase the or reword the question again so I can I mean, actually. You, you're pretty much hitting it on the nail on the head there because I was literally just saying okay. like, how have you been able to like start kind of straight stay true to what you know, you know, you're more passionate about? And I think one of the main things you're mentioning there is a, it's it's a learning process still. You know, you've probably learned from mistakes. And you were mentioning with going too too far into one one part, so to say, or one lane. Uh, being able to try and divide that out a bit and then also you just even mentioned how you know you do have a great mentor who's actually able to kind of say like support you in regards to where maybe this could be more demanding but and also 
not really attractive anymore because it's kind of going out what you like. He's able to back you in a way, so to say. So yeah, I guess you pretty much just uh, you're answering it there. There is again no perfect way. There was no epiphany or anything. It's just literally learning, and then also just kind of trying to listen to. I guess I don't know. You listen to your heart, or you listen to your, like your your partner, your wife. Like who are the main yeah. people? You, I guess you listen to. Yeah, for sure. It's trial and error. Um, you don't really. A lot of people look at bad experiences as just being bad. Yeah. Um, where I think it's important to look at them as learning experiences where you now know what you no longer, you know, want to do. So like just a random example, um, I don't know what the age demographic of people listening is, but a lot of the students I teach at the university, some of them are juniors and seniors and they have no idea what they want to do mm-hmm. post-graduation. And some of them are graduating in like two months from now. And I'm like, and, and that's fine. It's really yeah. fine. I asked yeah. them like, Hey, have you done any internships? And they're like, no. Or they're like, yeah, I've done one and I didn't like it. And I'm like, well, you should have done as many internships as you possibly can. Because even if you hated all five of the ones you did, you know that you don't want to do those five things. And it gives you a better insight in regards to the direction you do want to go in. Hmm. So having that perspective of like, Oh, I just wasted my time. It's like, no, you you didn't waste your time. You now know like what route doesn't make sense for you. And then you can now explore other options that might make more sense for you. So I think perspective is really, really important. Um, trying to find a win out of everything or like taking lessons from your losses. Like I don't like viewing things as losses. I like viewing them as lessons um, and just stuff like that, man. It's cool, man. Thanks. I mean, uh, I think again, so um, in regards to like demographic, possibly listening to this, it is kind of that range of like the mid twenties to, you know, also to about to about thirty to forty. But then I do also have a lot of like young followers as well, so that's good to hear. Because again, you know, age is just a number. A lot of people who are in those level of studies at a later age still as well. It doesn't always have to be in the in your teens and so on. So 100%. yeah, it's good. Yeah, and uh, I think again, love the way you're touching on how it's okay to not know the plan yet. <laughs> Well, again, just got to start taking them steps, you know, asking certain yeah. questions, but, you know, start, start actually, yeah, challenging yourself, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I think both of us are in a similar boat, man, where we're doing stuff in the fitness space, um, but no one's holding our hand. There's no blueprint or plan that we're following. 100%. We're trusting our gut. We're taking steps. We're doing what we enjoy. We're learning from our mistakes. And I think, um, anybody listening that wants to, you know, create a quote unquote side hustle, that is something that they're more passionate about compared to their normal, like job where they're making their current living, just do it. Like you can spend anywhere from one hour a week to, you know, 30 hours a week on your side hustle. Um, but just getting started is literally the way every single person starts. Like there's no plan that you need first. There's no like resume that you fill out. There's no book that you read. It's just like, yeah. you just get doing, you just get walking. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. All right. Um, so in regards to the main question, I kind of got back from my followers in regards to like, like what main things I probably want to ask you. And it does involve obviously a bit of the science of things. I, I know you like to be a bit science-based, um, before I go into the questions, just wanted to check, like in regards to like what you do with, with when it comes to working with clients, competitive breed, and also school of gains. What would you say, like, are the key like 
foundations of, of those areas of your coaching, what would you say is like the, more, the main aspects you try and you try to like um, implement when it comes to all clients there? Um, is there any kind of like main philosophies you have? Yeah. So there's a lot I can chat about here. Um, we can do it all day. <laughs> yeah. Depending on the client and the context, it's about finding um, an approach that obviously improves their results. It's improving their nutritional like X's and O's um, without it adding a certain level of stress that actually takes away from the enjoyment of the process. Um, so if I work with a gen pop person, it might look way different than what I do with a competitor. Um, and then some of the things I do with certain competitors are way different than what I do with other competitors because they can be a seasoned veteran or they can be a first timer. Um, their, their previous experiences can, you know, give you more insight in regards to what their preferences already are yeah. and where they're going to have the best adherence. So a lot of things vary. Um, so it's always about trying to find a way for the client to improve their current nutritional approach without adding a lot of uh, life stress to them. Um, it should almost take some weight off of their shoulders because the approach they take should give them clear direction and it should almost be like, okay, I'm no longer stressing out nutrition because I know I'm doing this and I know this works and it it's the right amount of flexibility that they need to stay on plan. So um, right. yeah, we, we can dive into more details as need be. Yeah, sure. And um, we're probably going to do so because uh, the main question is um, mainly in regards to the whole dieting phase going into a contest prep or fat loss phase if obviously you're working with a, with a gen pop um a lot of them want to know like what do you feel like is the best approach like what are you leaning more towards because we got this whole apparently that's the flexible only or the you know the the restrictive dieting you know so sure. where do you say you lean or actually is there a whole new kind of like um, lane that you look at when it comes to working with different clients yeah so when it comes to dieting, you know, super important thing is before you even start your diet is that you develop pretty good habits and the approach that you're going to take when you start dieting is the same approach you should take for at least a few weeks beforehand, just not being in a deficit. So, you know, if I were to work with a client that says like, Hey, they just want to do a contest prep with me and not like an improvement phase. Um, I would at least want to work with them for four to six weeks before we start dieting just to develop structure like okay this is how i want you nailing your nutrition um and that's something that varies with each client so some like just a quick example some of my clients do like three whole food meals per day and two additional protein feedings that yeah. might literally just be like protein shake um so in that case it's kind of like a very standard diet where you're doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like three actual meals, and then like two additional protein feedings, right? So that's not really, that's not really like bodybuilding-esque, right? Like you can kind of tell like your soccer mom to do that. And she's not going to say like, oh, that's like dramatically different than what I'm currently doing. Cause she's probably eating three meals a day anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you just got to structure the portion size of the carbs, the fats, the proteins appropriately, so on and so forth. But yeah. that's like a small adjustment that they can make yeah. rather than telling them, 
hey, I need you to eat six small meals and all of those meals need to be fat, carbs, and protein. Yeah. Because what happens there is the quantity of the, the carbs, fat, and protein in each meal when you spread it across six for a soccer mom is quite small. So she's no longer eating her normal size dinner. She's no longer eating her normal size lunch. And it feels like something's different, right? Whereas if you gave them like, it's going to be a different breakfast, a different lunch and a different dinner in regards to the, the serving and the portions of the food items. But like whatever she cooks for her family, it's probably going to be the same exact food sources. She's just now weighing it out and paying attention to the actual portions of that food. But taking that person and saying, hey, you're still doing your normal three meals. I'm just having you do a shake first thing in the morning and a shake before you go to sleep. That's like just an easy adjustment. And it's like, boom, they start making progress. Yeah. And then on the other end, like some competitors, you know, they're actually eating like five complete balanced meals. And that's like more of a very standard bodybuilding-esque diet. So it varies there. Um, And then... Another thing is I do prescribe macronutrients for all of my clients, but some take a more flexible approach and some take a less flexible approach. And what I generally like to do is cook a lot of food in bulk. So you're still meal prepping. You're not just like winging it and trying to hit your numbers out of nowhere. Um, I still think it's really important to have certain meals that don't necessarily need to change, right? Like if you're eating your breakfast alone, if you're eating your lunch alone, you might as well keep those meals just like solid staple meals, right? Like your pre-workout meal, your post-workout meal, like you're not going out with the fam to eat your pre-workout meal, like per se, right? Like doing that on your own. So just like keep some stuff super, super simple. And then like, if you want dinner to be off the menu and like, whatever is being cooked with the family or whatever it may be, like you can still make it work as long as you, again, take the food sources and provide yourself with the right quantity. So you're still hitting your numbers and you're staying on track. So again, the the level of flexibility varies. Some of my clients are on meal plans just because they prefer that. Some of my clients are just hitting their macros, but I just give them very general guidelines, man. Um, Whether you're a soccer mom or a competitor, I always say, three servings of vegetables every single day, no matter what, two servings of fruit every single day. Those are the minimum. If you do that, if you have three servings of veggie and two servings of fruit, your fiber is taken care of. Yeah. I basically no longer need to pay attention to fiber, so to speak. Like you don't have to worry about that or track it. Um, And that alone improves so many people's digestive health. Like a lot of gen pop clients, they have really, really bad GI health. Um, And then just having them eat more whole nutrient dense foods, like improves it really quickly um, when they start removing, you know, a lot of processed foods and eating way more whole foods. That's it. Love that. Love that. And um, again, just one of the main reasons why, again, just relating to you and I guess in regards to how we're kind of a bit similar with our, with same with my kind of coaching it is always about trying your best to, again, no matter who the client is, because even a competitor, you can't just completely flip things on its head in regards to the nutrition. There has to be some elements or something they can actually recognize here that go, whether it's even just simply the structure of things. So how, okay, I normally do have around three meals anyways. 
and even for competitive, it's just simply, okay, prioritizing your pre and post workout a bit better, the peri workout, you know, those kind of things. It's, that's what's going to be the little nuances here and there. But I think one of the best things you said there was just simply, again, the whole, no matter who the client is, it should be a case of there's a bit of weight off their shoulders now. You're there now to help them with all these kind of little things. And anything they might have been worrying about, things where some people, you, you get them, you've got some clients who just, they have so many questions because they'll hear one thing and they're just thinking, does that mean that applies to me? Is this right? All this kind of thing. All these, some, some people even read their own studies and everything. But at least now they got you to just go, Chris, does this mean anything to me? And if it does, if it doesn't, either way, explain it to me. You can yeah, do yeah. that. You know, those kind of things. But I think, again, number one, you said it first, which is we actually get them good results. But then how we get there as well is not something that's going to be where they hated it. And it's like the enjoyment is just gone as well. It's something that yeah. you learn from. Yeah, it's part of our responsibility to give them a plan where they can take the thinking out of it to a certain extent. They still need to be very conscious of what they're eating and what they're doing, you know, cause it requires tracking, but we're giving them like the quantities and the, the ratios of what we're looking for. Um, and I just lost my train of thought. So yeah, I'm trying to take the thinking out. I'm trying to take the thinking out for them to a certain extent. They need to be super conscious about it. And then it's up to them to execute. Like we can't do it for them. Um, And then if if they find a plan too hard to execute, we need to, we need to figure out why. And then we can potentially use a totally different strategy um, that might not come down to counting macros by the gram and necessarily using a food scale. So there are some other potential strategies that can be used depending on the client. I guess that's why it is coaching because it's always ongoing. There's never such a thing as the perfect platform, you know, the get go, you know, it's always going to be evolving. And I guess that's why you do the journey with them, period. So, yeah, love that, man. Um, I think off the back of that, the second other key question was okay, you've gone through your fat loss phase, maintaining it now. Like, let's say we do want to try and, you know, look a bit lean still for the rest of the year, kind of thing. We're not trying to look like shredded 24 7, but kind of at least keep the results we had because then you know you've got a lot of people feeling like the yo-yo diet a lot when it comes to like they've done the, the 12 week crash or something and now yeah okay they just want to just bend you and everything so what is yeah. the best way to maintain it and yeah i pretty much know the answer to this but yeah i'd love to hear it from you yeah for sure so i'm, I'm gonna backpedal super quick because there's one other yeah. thing i want to mention about the dieting phase and then i'm gonna sure. come back come back no problem this. man Close cool. yours. um in regards to the diet too, so like let's say you have a competitor and you're going through a significant fat loss phase, whether it's first stage or not. Um, if you do have that structure I spoke about where like, hey, your pre-workout meal, your post-workout meal, that can always look the same because you're not eating out for that. Like you're, you're doing that stuff on your own. Um, one thing I like to do is keep my pre-workout meal and my post-workout meal almost identical like throughout the entire contest prep. So let's just say I started off at 300 carbs per day, right? And I was eating 140 of those carbs pre and post. Let's just say 70 and 70 as a random example. Um, As my carbs get lower and lower throughout the contest prep. So let's just say I started at 300 and I ended at 200. Random example. I would still keep my pre-workout 70 and 70, 
those meals would stay the same. Yeah. And then the reduction of carbs is going to come from the meals furthest away from the workout window. So, you know, if you're training at 4 PM after work, 5 PM, whatever, um, your breakfast is probably going to be super low carb or like, just like vegetables, fats, and proteins. And then maybe the last meal before you go to sleep is just like protein and vegetables, just as an example. So I like keeping the peri workout nutrition as similar as possible throughout the prep. And that can be like your staple. And then any adjustments you make to fats and carbs throughout prep, like you just pulled them from the meals furthest away from the peri workout window. That works really well. And then kind of to transition into your next question was like, how do you um, kind of transition out of that? If you keep that same structure, like you're still going to train after your fat loss phase, boom, your pre and post are the same. Now you just start adding in your carbs and fats to those other meals that were further away. So, you know, let's say you were doing breakfast at the end of prep that had no starchy carbohydrates and it was just like vegetables, eggs, like an egg omelet or something. Um, now you start adding in your toast there again, because you're adding in 40 grams of carbs, or, um, maybe you were doing like a very lean, uh, like salad for lunch, like just hella veg, lean protein and some sort of dressing that was like your filling voluminous lunch. Now, maybe you start having a potato on the side cause you're adding in carbs. So you're putting your starch back in. So the reverse dieting phase post contest prep is almost just going to be a reverse mirror of what you did on the way down. You can just be way more aggressive with it. So let's just say, um, like right off the bat, if you are dieting and you, you, you hit stage lean, I mean, I like adding in calories right away. Like I'm not someone who's adding in 20 grams of carbs, just 25 grams of carbs a week off the bat right away. I might add in like a hundred grams of carbs. So that's 400 calories right away to both your training and non-training days. Um, so you just really maximize muscle glycogen. Uh, you obviously can eat more food. So your satiety is increased. Um, and then like, that's a 400 calorie bump from there. So hopefully you can adhere to that decently well. And then from there, you can do it slow increments based on how the rate of gain is going on the scale, how good your adherence is and so on and so forth. Um, I think a really important thing that impacts satiety post-show or just in general, something that impacts satiety all the time is the quality of food sources you're eating and their glycemic index. So if you're eating a lot of processed foods post-show, their satiety is super poor, right? They're high glycemic, They cause obviously a a big spike in blood glucose levels, a big spike in insulin, and then followed by a large spike in adrenaline. And that noradrenaline leads to more hunger and more cravings. So besides eating like low volume foods that aren't actually filling up your stomach, um, there's also a physiological hormonal cascade that leads to more hunger. So your ability to adhere is going to go down if you're just eating, like if you were dieting super clean and eating really nutrient dense, and then on the reverse, you just want to eat your junk crap. Um, it's going to be really hard to adhere because you're just going to crave it more and more. And then before you know it, instead of being up a hundred carbs and 400 calories, 
you're going to be up like 250 carbs and 900 calories. Yeah. Don't forget the 40 fats as well. <laughs> and just yeah, crept of course. <laughs> a thousand percent. That's <laughs> always percent. Have this. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I, I would love to add on that as well because, you know, it's always something that a lot of people feel is like there's so much more to it. But like you just touched on there, if the whole lean, getting lean phase was done correctly, it does make the rest of, you know, coming out of that, transitioning out of it a lot easier because, like you said, it literally is just reversing out of it. Um, obviously, yeah. depends. Competitor, yes, you know, probably be more aggressive off, off the bat because if they stage lean, you know, the main thing is get them feeling like they're human again, you know, as soon yeah. as possible is probably the main thing. Maybe someone's gen pop, even if it was just for a photo shoot for the summer, it's still it's the same thing, but probably not just as, as aggressive in regards to coming out of there. But um, again, if you're already in your diet, you were, you know, having a good balance of processed, non-processed meals, you know, you've got a good structure. The root, It is your routine now. It is your lifestyle now. It's yeah. so much easier to then, coming out of it, you know, to, to just keep going with it. And I think the other key thing as well, you mentioned that you touched on it real quick, was training, which is simply, if you actually enjoy training, that was always the case, then again, you're still continuing that as well when you come out of it because again you get some people saying oh i just fell out of love of training this and that and you're just thinking there's a lot more has gone in there then it's not just yeah. the nutrition was tough but it seems like mentally you struggled with a lot of things and then obviously it's not in a good position to transition out of there because already your mindset is is set on something else <laughs> and yeah. it sounds like you're a coach who definitely prepares gen pop competition no matter what kind of client it is you're preparing them for that transition either way so making sure that they can get into that and I yeah. think that's the main thing there is that that whole process while doing it, it should be preparing you for that. And if you're not ready for that it, mentally, you know, we, and then with your nutrition as well, it's so much harder. That's when it becomes yeah. that big challenge. That's when that whole yo-yoing is just bound to happen. You know? For sure. A couple of points I want to make based off everything you just said. Um, some things that work really well, man, with gem pop or honestly competitors too. Uh, let's just say you're dieting down someone and, and they're losing, let's just say 25 pounds, right? Yeah. Um, so let's just take it six pounds at a time, for, for example, and they, they do that four times, right? Six, yeah. 12, 18, 24. So a really good thing to do with gem pop is let's just say this person is 180 pounds. They lose six pounds. They get to 174 diet break them increase their food a bit um just show them that hey you're now at 174 for you to maintain 174 you don't need to do what we've been doing you don't need to stay in this diet you can actually eat a little bit more maintain it for them for one to two weeks just to teach them like this is what 174 maintenance feels like yeah and then go back to dieting another six pounds so then you get them to 168 then you say okay I know we've been dieting for a few weeks. You lost another six pounds. You don't need to continue to live your life the way you've been living your life to maintain this 168. Let's diet break. You're not going to really gain any weight. You know, you might gain a pound if scale fluctuates here and there, but we're going to just diet break and maintain. Okay. This is what it takes to maintain this 168. Then drop another six pounds. You're now 162. Diet break them. Drop another six pounds. They're now 156. And they just went from 180 to 156. They lost 24 pounds, but they learned how to kind of maintain throughout the way. Yeah. So once they hit their goal weight, they're like, oh yeah, I already did that at the 
168. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So that's a nice little strategy for people that have patience. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, people sign on with you. They're like, Hey, I'm ready to get shredded in 12 weeks. And yeah. it's like, well, you have like 40 pounds to lose. So um, let's take that 12 weeks and let's change it to 24 weeks and uh, let's practice some patience and let's do it the right way and yeah. try to teach you. So you don't, you know, so you're not done with me in 24 weeks and then you regain all your body weight again and then you hire someone else next year and then you do the same thing all over again, right? So that's really important. And then another thing I wanted to mention, um, you mentioned if you train, like if you enjoy training, then you should be able to just get you know back to the gym and like continue to do that. When people stop enjoying it, um, a reason for that is because it starts to feel like a chore and it starts to feel like a job rather than their hobby and their passion. Um, so something, this is pretty, this might be pretty interesting to you. I have some high level uh, athletes right now. One of my best figure competitors, um, she trains, she's on like a six day split, so to speak. She trains, let's just say a most like six days, every eight days, right? Yeah. Three of those training days are programmed by me where it's like, you have to do this exercise for this rep, for this set. Yeah. The other three days, I tell her to go in there and just do whatever she wants. Just have fun. This yeah. is a super high level athlete because a, she knows how to train. She's a really good personal trainer. She's a champion figure competitor. She knows what the hell she's doing, but B her personality is she loves the gym. She loves working out, but she like dances in between her sets. Like, she just enjoys it. And if, if she's staring at a log book and like is forced to stick to a plan every session, she's going to not enjoy the gym. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I give her three days where it's like, Hey, I know you love training and you like dancing in between your sets, but I need you to like progressively overload on these movements. And then the other three days, like go do whatever the hell you want, get a good pump, get a good workout. And even if it's not tracked, and you don't know like how much progress you're making. I know you know how to train. And the fact that you enjoy it is more important than anything. So just go do your thing. Yeah. Um, and again, like I can't do that for a gen pop client because yeah. they need guidance and they don't know how to train. But it's important for adherence and enjoyment. Um, like, again, is this a hobby and a passion or is it a chore and uh, something you're forcing yourself to do? So find a way to make it fun. Um, obviously we love bodybuilding, yeah. but you know, maybe somebody likes orange theory or, you know, a group fitness class or whatever. Yeah. They just need to find something that kind of keeps them going. Exactly. Uh, that's very interesting that you mentioned that actually, because I'm pretty sure a lot of coaches, you know, coach competitors would be like crazy. Like, no, <laughs> you gotta be, you gotta own everything about, about their training. You gotta really hands on and, how dare you like let them have some some actual flexibility in that? But honestly, again, it's I think about it, I'm like, why not? Because again, number one thing is yes, we know the level of it it's at, but if the individual who is actually again the person going on stage doesn't get on stage just simply because they just you know they burned out and like you said, if it was a chore, they could it just it, it, again because it happens so many times so many people you see out there with great potential especially in natural bodybuilding where 
you're like, how come this person still has to step on stage yet? And most of the time it's because unfortunately, you know, going into prep, it just the whole process just wasn't right for them. Uh, maybe they didn't have the right people there to help them with it, the support and everything, but that kind of ruined it for them and they don't make it to the stage. And I guess then for you then is as great as you know you know it is to okay, you want this person on the stage to get this result, which is the focus, yes, but she's gotta get there. So yeah, it makes sense what you just said there. Yeah, man, it's it's people's ego that prevents them from doing that. So people like other coaches and trainees or whatever, they want to think that their X's and O's are responsible for the result. Okay. So the simple I did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like no, they they think that training X's and O's are so yeah. important. Yeah. The most important variables, right? People talk about what? volume intensity yeah. frequency yeah they also talk about exercise selection periodization all this shit training right? methods yeah yeah all the yeah. shit what's the most important variables consistency and effort and effort yeah right so if my client is training three days that she's yellowing and having fun as long as she has a high level of effort i still know it's a productive stimulative training session yeah. right? Like what stimulates hypertrophy? Like what stimulates muscle protein synthesis? It's mechanical tension. It's metabolic stress. It's muscle damage, all these things. She can go do that without me saying like, do this exercise for this rep. And that's what, and like, I know that's what we do Yeah. now. Tr tracking your stuff is important to ensure that you're progressing and to give yourself some direction, but your program isn't why people are getting results. They're getting results because A, they're staying consistent and B, they're putting forth enough effort that stimulates positive signaling. And then B, they're performing resistance training exercise that has, you know, components of mechanical tension, metabolics, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. So it's like people just want to think like, oh, my plan is the best fucking plan. So you need to do my plan. That's it. No, again, um, I, I'll probably even admit 2017, Possibly a little bit 2018. It was. It's very hard to to get out of things you're married into as a coach, you know. Yeah. It's, and it's some will call it ego, or whatever. But it's very easy. It's a human being trait, you know. You just you naturally like to think something I did, did you know, I did it sort of thing. And as a coach, it's very easy to yeah. say it's our training plan, it's our nutritional yeah. method, you know. That's why, like, sometimes I, I'm not having a dig or anything, but I do love it when I hear some coaches come up with certain, you know, branded names for their training methods and everything. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah, you know, like, it's almost like, yeah, this kind of is the reason why this happened. Without my training method, that person couldn't have built that physique. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on now. And on the mm -hmm. flip side, especially in the past year, I've learned so much where I've almost felt like this person got results, nothing to do with my training or nutrition. It was actually, just simply being able to like you know, have this, you know, their psyche, just making sure things were okay mindset wise, you know, sure. things like, um, I think a key word I've learned in the past year was, you know, identity, them yeah. actually identifying with who they are and also where they want to go, you know, they're getting more, you know, understanding that a bit better has been so, so important. Now tell me that two years ago, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Mate, yeah. she don't know her macros and she ain't logging the training. Not happening, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah, always learning, I think, is the other key thing. Uh, before we, we, we go on, though, I do want to point out one thing. 
You did mention peri workout, just in case some of my followers don't know. Peri workout, what does that actually mean? Sure. So peri workout is your pre workout, intro workout, and post workout window, so to speak. Um, this can vary for everybody based on their goals, the phase they're in, and their preferences. So, you know, some of my clients train at 4 a.m., so they're totally fasted. Uh, therefore, they don't have a pre workout meal, and that's totally fine. Um, therefore their post-workout nutrition is more important compared to somebody that had a really good pre-workout meal. Um, intra-workout nutrition is more important for people that are training longer than 60 minutes, or if they're doing very glycolytic demanding training. So, you know, things that are 12 repetitions and higher, so to speak, um, even eight repetitions or higher. But if you're doing more of a powerlifting um, routine or plenty of strength work, intra-workout nutrition shouldn't be as important because you're not using a ton of glucose or stored muscle glycogen um, for the training you're currently doing. So I can go over some strategies if you'd like for that. Probably not today. <laughs> I know that I don't want this one to go on too long, but no, yeah, again, no there's more reason, guys, why you should be following him, all right? Because <laughs> I, I know for sure he's about to dig into a, a post that he's done um, in the past and you know, usually yeah. does every, every every six months, so to say. So uh, obviously I'll be making sure I do tag your your your, hand, your, your page handles and everything. But Thanks, man. Again, guys, you should be following him because like, literally all the stuff he's mentioning here is stuff that he's always been putting out there. A lot of free content as well, guys. So... Definitely, definitely check sure. it out. Uh, but one thing I did want to finish on was just simply like rest of this year, like what are the plans? Um, I know you got, you're on some very exciting projects in regards to uh, the university at the moment, but also just yourself because, you know, we, we still technically are bodybuilders. So, you know, yeah. we're not, we might not be on stage as many people, but you know, I just know. wanted to know what are your plans though, man? How, how are things going? Yeah, man, things are going well. Um, in regards to this year, there are multiple research projects in the work. So um, I just finished collecting data for one acute study. Um, it was kind of on like intra-workout nutrition, actually. It was on carbohydrate mouth rinsing. Um, it's a kind of interesting novel topic. Um, there's a lot of data on it for endurance yeah. athletes. So people would literally, you know, swish around carbohydrate solution in their mouth and okay. not consume it, not even drink it, actually spit it out. Wow. Um, and it basically the data that we do know um, from like brain scans is that it, that you have carbohydrate sensors in your mouth, oral receptors. And when the carbohydrate binds to the oral receptor, it sends a signal to the, the pleasure centers of the brain that kind of increase serotonin and dopamine. So when those pleasure centers are stimulated, it decreases fatigue and like it improves your ability to kind of continue to push. Wow. So we're looking to see if you can improve your resistance training performance with carbohydrate mouth rinsing. Um, the practical application to that would be like, Hey, if you're dieting, you don't necessarily need to consume 20 grams of carbs intra workout and get those 80 calories because you're on a diet and you're trying to maximize the deficit you still may be able to get a performance enhancing effect from it. Um, so anyway, I don't want to dive too deep into that, but there's That's a study awesome. coming out on that. Yeah. Um, 
I worked on a really, really, really cool review paper with some awesome researchers that I was totally honored to be a part of. It was uh, Dr. Guillermo Escalante, Dr. Scott Stevenson, oh, Alan wow. Aragon, and Brad Schoenfeld. Okay. And that that paper is on peak week. So That's I'm really thing. pumped about that. I hope that comes out. It, it'll come out sometime in 2021, but this research stuff just takes so long to go through review and everything. So that's going to be cool. Peak week paper coming out. And then um, another paper is currently under review on intraset stretching. So that's like an advanced training technique where yep. in between your set, you would stretch under load to see if it would induce more growth than just resting and doing your next set. So those are some of the research things and I'm working on case studies for a lot of my clients that are competing and non-clients. Um, and it's cool because I'm trying to compare enhanced versus natural competition preps, um, looking at the results, the outcomes, and also like hormonal changes and everything. So that'll be a long-term project. And then for me, um, I have plenty of clients competing this year, which I'm pumped about. And I plan nice. on getting back on stage as well in September. Yay. Yay. Hercules? Yeah. Uh, natural mania. Natural oh. mania. All right. Yeah, not, not the Hercules, but yeah. it's All New right. York. It's a really good show. Um, I'll probably just do two shows. I'm thinking to do one NPC show here in Florida to uh, compete against the big boys, see if I can make them look uh, soft and unconditioned. And then um, I'll do one natural show. And that'll probably be it. Um, unless at the same time, you know, Something, I do want to turn yeah. pro. Yeah. So if I turn yeah. pro, I would love to at least do one pro debut just to get it out of the way. And because yeah. uh, they make you do a pro debut within one year of getting your card or else the card. Oh, serious. Away. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I don't think we have that here. Yeah. So if I turned pro but didn't do a pro show. Yeah. I know I'm not going to compete the following season. Like I'm going to take yeah. years and years off again. So like, yeah. then my pro card gets revoked. So, oh, that's, oh, that's great. Oh, well, I guess it's just to make sure that they got a show with pros then. I guess yeah. you know, yeah. that's because most pros will probably just think so. Once I've got my pro card, I just want to, you know, get that long off season so I can get come back really, you know, yeah. at that next level, that kind of thing. So, so interesting. Hopefully, hopefully, hey, hey, you know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to be checking that out. You know, I'm going to be checking yeah. that out. So hopefully, it's definitely. Yeah. Definitely is on the cards for you, mate. It's definitely on the cards. Exciting so. times, man. Sounds good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Dang. All right. I think that is pretty much it for me uh, in regards to the oh, podcast. Man. Thanks again, buddy, for coming through. It is a oh, big man. pleasure. I know you're a busy dude, but I'm glad we could fit this one in, man. And um, again, guys, if you are not not following this guy, you are. You're crazy, simple as. <laughs> it's just that simple. I appreciate the love, man. I really, oh, I'm, I missed you. It's been a minute. Um, We've got a lot, to, a lot to chat about, a lot to catch up on, and we'll do it again soon. Thanks, dude. All right, guys. Thanks again on the Faith, Mind, and Muscle podcast. That's it for now. Take care and God bless.